Welcome back to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. Uh, my name is John Payne. I'm the lead pastor of Redemption Hill Church outside of Austin, and I'm here with my friend Jared Mellinger, the lead pastor of Covenant Fellowship Church outside of Philadelphia. And we are fellow members of the Sovereign Grace Leadership Team. And we, in our last episode, launched season three of this podcast, uh, the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. And and we, we actually just want to continue the conversation we were having before, because I think there's more things we wanted to talk about on the subject of preaching. So we're just going to pick up where we left off, um, preaching part two. And uh, Jared, I wanted to kind of kick it to you. What, what other burdens... Uh, came to your mind just as we were discussing that, you know, regarding preaching, not just your preaching, but, you know, as you think about preaching that you've heard and burdens that you have, you know, for, for preaching, say, in our family of churches, what are, what are things yeah, that are on, on Yeah, your so there's, there's a number of things here, and I just love talking about preaching as well. I love talking about it with you, John. It's a, um, you know, there, there's so much glory in, in the, the, the work of preaching, and it's, such a difficult and challenging work that I feel like I've only taken baby steps in figuring out what it is that I'm trying to do and supposed to be doing. But um, there are things that I carry as 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 burdens and things that I seek to do. One of them relates to, to main points. So how do we develop those main points? You mentioned last time, John, on, on each one of those main points should come out of the text. Yes, absolutely. So there should be this point comes out of this place in the in the text. I also yes. think there needs to be some consideration of the flow of those points. Yes. And the order of them. What is the progression of this sermon? And uh, <clears throat> we need to avoid introducing a main point that sounds like something we've already covered. So yes. sometimes, I, you know, we've seen point one, uh, the beauty of the church. Now, point two the glory of the church, you know, or something like, well, okay, the glory of the church sounds a whole lot like the beauty of the church. Is this point, what, how is this next point progressing the development of the sermon? It sounds to me as a listener, like you're going to talk more about the same exact thing. If you're going to do that, then make clear how glory differs from beauty as the next thing that you, you know, that you say there. Um, I think it's always good for preachers to avoid bloated first points, lengthy. Uh, so often the burden for the sermon that we have just gets imported into the first point, which is then extended. No yes. rules about these things. But I would say if you have a lengthy first point, that's going to affect the overall momentum and flow of the sermon. And if it's half your sermon, you may at least want to just give people a heads up that we're spending the most time on this on this point that will serve the uh, the listener. I think main points need to be need to aim at the listener. So uh, it, it, you know, I I don't think it's most helpful. Again, no, I don't want to create absolute rules about these things, but you know, it's not going to be the best way to do it. Is to you know, point one, Joseph's trials. Point two, Joseph's faith. You know, point three, Joseph's deliverance. Or those are about Joseph. How can we make those points? I uh, you know, point one, the trials of life and, mm -hmm. and, you know, point two, the power of faith and so on. So we're, we're connecting the main point immediately to the, uh, you know, to the, the listener. Those are just some things related to main points that I wanted to, you know, to get off of my, my chest. Um, those are generally going to be more helpful if they are concise as well, I find, because they, those should be the hooks that people are, are able to take with them. Um, and, uh, and that everything else, you know, sort of, 
sort of hangs on. And then under each one, yeah, do you have anything to add to that on main points? Probably just that I find a couple things that, um, you know, one of the dangers of main points is that they can become individual messages that are separated from each other and that build themselves more than build the overall point of the, the message. So, I mean, I subscribe, you know, Chapel, I think, says this and many, 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 you know, historic exegetical professors say this, that, that your message should be about the main burden of the passage. You know, it shouldn't it, you're not preaching three messages, but I, I, I mean, I find the temptation is to preach three messages relatively independent of each other, you know, and, and forcing myself to subordinate. It's, it's almost like, you know, you know, uh, what do they call that in the military with it? You know, basically I'm, I'm going to set rank here. Um, this is, this is going to be a rank issue. You are a main point. You are not my prop. You are not the main point of this. Yes. You know, you must yeah. support um, <laughs> so the, the rhetoric, the way you use them, even the vocabulary of them should be self-consciously pressing the main point forward rather than, okay, now we've studied that and moving on to message number two, let's study this. And yes. so I think that gets to the transitions to the points and even the way that you're introducing them should build up the prop rather than be viewing them as an independent, isolated thing. Yeah. So that, that's a category. The other category is the distinction between narrative messages and, you know, epistolary or, or you know, yes. other genres. Because I, I find sometimes one, one risk is that you have um, two sets of points in a message. And I, I have to discipline myself in this way where it's like, okay, point number one, this point, number two, this point, number three, this now I'd like to give you four points of application point. Number one, this point, number two, you know, and I find that can create an exhaustion, you know, in the hearers. So I feel like you have to make a decision decision. If you're basically telling a story and all you're wanting is to provide kind of a, a very general, categories of the scenes of the story my recommendation is don't highlight those as points quite as much yeah. in the way that you walk through them if you're planning on giving three definitive points of application sort of at the end once you've delivered the point of the story you know, don't say point number one you know like yeah. he's, he's, you know joseph's trials point number two one of one was Joseph's trials. Number two is Joseph's faith. Point number three, Joseph's deliverance. We're going to get now. Let me give you four points facing trials with faith. And I, I feel like people are like, holy cow, how many numbered systems do I have to have? You know, I would recommend with the narrative use an organizational structure. But if you're going to backload your application, make it less um, definitive and, and more just in the flow of your description. In contrast with like an epistle kind of preaching where I would, what I find helpful is, no, then you can be more definitive in, in your point. Point number one, you know, the, the, the judgment of God is, you know, fearing the judgment of God, you know, point number two, trusting, you know, the provision of grace, point number three, you know, whatever the, the passage would be. Um, because your application is going to come more into the points. So I don't know, yeah. for me, that's a, yes. Those distinctions are helpful, so you don't you don't burden the listeners, you know. Absolutely, and if you and if you are going to do you know three points from the text and then four or five application points, or whatever, it can be helpful to tell people that up front. Or if you drop into sub points, which I rarely do under a point, but now under point two, I have four 
sub points, you know, here, just tell people, otherwise they'll get disoriented as, as listeners and they won't know where they are uh, in the, you know, in the message. Yeah. What, what Brian Chappell uh, says, which his, his text, Christ-centered preaching is, is, uh, you know, a, a wonderful text that we uh, highly commend. He talks about each one of the the main points having underneath it explanation, illustration, and application. So you're not saving all the application to the end. You're looking to apply and illustrate each point as you as you go. So explanation means that sh- there should be some preaching to the mind. That people are being that there's a teaching component to preaching. It should be intellectually satisfying. You should seek to provide insights into the passage that perhaps uh, even careful readers haven't observed before. There's that that element of, uh, of explanation. But then it's also so important. I think sometimes people can think that if they explain, then their job is done. But to have illustration and application, you, I, I like to think of all those things as, as part of like a balanced expositional meal. You know, so the classic seminary sermon probably leans too heavily toward explanation, you know, and that's in the forefront. And then I think the more popular media sermon might lack balance in the other way and just be all stories, all illustration and application. So I think something of a balance between and individual guys through their own temperament and leanings might might lean more in one direction than another and it's helpful yes. to know that so that we can intentionally look to uh not just have our own personality or interest you know determine the uh the the shape of the sermon yes yeah very good let, let, let's talk about that in terms of you know how do you think about like what a sermon is trying to get done what's the goal you know, goals of the sermon. So this gets to prep and delivery, but I mean, how, how would you define that? What, what are you trying to do as you preach? So what we have been well taught here is that every passage has, you know, an intended redemptive effect or a divine, uh, you know, intended effect of something that God's seeking to accomplish. So that's what we're looking to discover that always, uh, speaks to a a fallen condition focus again these are uh, language that chapel uses so the the fallen condition focus fcf is that part of the passage that is uh addressing basically what's the problem what what is it in this passage that reveals humanity's need for a savior for the redemption that is you know that is in christ um and so then once we identify what it is that God is seeking to accomplish in the passage, then we, so there's a sense in which all of preaching is aiming at application. Application is not just this other thing that we do or that we tack on. We, we start with saying, what is the functional transformative uh, effect that this passage should, what is, what is God seeking to accomplish? We know that all scriptures breathed out by God profitable for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. How does this passage accomplish that particular, you know, yes. that particular goal is, uh, is, exactly. is what we're aiming for? Yeah, I, I really, I 100% agree. And I love how Chapel describes that. And um, I think that um, at least as I evaluate myself in preaching, I 
I always remember like getting the text accurate, which is mostly information. I, I want it. I want it to be. I want to accurately communicate the burden of this passage as much as I possibly can with the limited mind God's given me. I want to accurately communicate the burden of this passage. So there will be no transformation without accurate information. So that has to be first and foremost. I. I don't want the transformation that could come by bypassing the accuracy of the passage and just aiming to be a motivational religious teacher. Like, I don't want that kind of information because then I'm transforming them ultimately into my own image. And I don't want that. Transformation goals that bypass the accuracy of the passage are looking to recreate people in the image of the preacher. So that is the absolute bare minimum in, in my mind of, okay, this must be accurate. I don't care how witty, how rhyming, how clever a prop and mains can be. If they're not accurate to the passage, they are getting something done that I don't want to get done. So, yeah. but once that's there, once that's in place and is the foundation and, and kind of the irreducible accuracy, I can find that I, I can easily become content with mere informational transfer. Um, mm. And I, I don't want to be content with that either because I, I can sometimes think as long as I'm just telling them what it says with without the expectation of, I want this to change your real life. Yes. And is the way I'm saying this indicating and delivering them to the best possible chance of this actually changing your life. One of the things I'll say frequently in my sermons is, look, we're not just aiming at sermon affirmations around here. We yeah. don't want to just preach a sermon and everybody says, yes, that's true. And then nobody changes. That's not what we want. We expect that this passage will actually lead to real change in your life. Yeah. So I have to like remind myself of that. Wait a minute, wait, no, no. I'm not just telling them what's there. I'm calling them to believe and to live out what's there. So then that gets me into, okay, how can I make the accurate information compelling, motivating, directive, transforming, applicable, illustrated, emotionally compelling, it can't be less than accurate, yeah. but how can I take this accurate thing and press it to them in such a way? And that can't just be my volume. It can't just yeah. be that I shout it louder. It has to be crafted in such a way that the unchanged truth calls for an actual response. So that's, I think that is the hardest part for me. Yes. Yeah. Is Lord, yeah. help me to, especially when you're preaching to people that, maybe have been Christians a while and, yeah. and you're trying to make familiar truths freshly compelling without yeah. diminishing or diluting the truth. So that you know, that's, you know, that, that can't happen. So I, that, that's where I, I find yes. that's where I have to give so much attention to um, mains that aren't just a boring repetition of, uh, you know, like this happened and then this happened and, uh, you know, I'm just kind of delivering you know, it's like the most boring conveyor belt sermon ever. You know, it's like, what difference was made by me preaching this than them just, you know, reading this on their own? There should have been some some effect of me laboring over this, um, you know, to compel them to see this or whatever. So I think, I, I think how I can 
labor towards illustrations that that heighten the emotional impact towards the intended redemptive effect and then applications that help them tangibly see this is the difference this should make in your life it should be like this it's like because of this passage you would be this way i am this way but now we must be this way like i want to get into that you know this is what this passage means for your relationships for your own personal life for your for your marriage for your home you know it's uh etc yes absolutely one other thing just related to the content of of sermon preparation that um and we've been again so well taught in this but it's imperative that every text uh, that 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 christ be revealed in every passage and so the preacher in his study and in sermon preparation needs to identify the best way to reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ who died in the place of sinners and rose victorious yes. over sin and death and yes. that and and true gospel centeredness is never bland it, it is never predictable because there are numerous ways and in fact in studying any particular passage there will be numerous ways that a passage will point to Christ yes. and in our study we need to determine uh, what the best approach is in, in yeah. that particular text. Yes. No, I, I think I, I get to just preach this to myself and, and to all our, our brothers who are doing the same labor every week. You know, generic gospel vocabulary thrown in randomly to some message is not what we, you know, we have a shared value, gospel centered preaching, right? We do not mean that as long as at some point you literally say the word gospel, um, that, that, that is not, that is not what we want. It's not what I want. So I think doing the hard work of saying, okay, in what way does this passage uniquely describe the glory of Christ as Savior and Lord, um, so that I can't just throw in this generic reference. And this study of Ephesians 6 is why we love the gospel around here, and Mm -hmm. the gospels, and preach the gospel to yourself, and it has nothing to do with the passages shoved in at the end. We don't want that. You know, we we want a passage that you craft the gospel connection in terms of the passage itself. I think that's the hard and delightful work of yes. gospel-centered preaching, you yes. know, where we're saying, yeah, this this is the way, because yes. this is when Isaiah is, and this is what's happening with the, you know, the people of Israel at that time, and this is how we can look forward to Christ, and this is how the coming of Christ affects our interpretation of this passage. Yes. Like, I, I, I think we have to do that hard work, both because it's accurate to the passage, but also because that doing it that way accurately also guards the gospel from becoming mere cliche. Mm. It's exactly the nuance that accurately represents each passage that keeps us from being just cliche gospel preachers and allows us to show it in its varied glory passage by passage. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You have a question, bro? Go ahead. Another part of sermon prep that came to mind. And this is actually, I, I neglected to include this in the the latter phase. This is this may even come after the writing in many instances, is to cultivate the skill of eliminating content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so co- there will be particular burdens and content that's developed through sermon prep 
that will need to be eliminated. And it's just one of the most difficult parts of preaching because these are gems that we grow attached to and things we want to, to communicate. Um, but knowing, okay, not everything needs to be in this yeah. sermon and there will be a future time to speak uh, to this. And, totally. um, you know, I, I always think that it's easiest to preach like 50 or 60 minute sermons. I don't preach that length, but that's what's easiest because that normally means I'm not eliminating any, any content. <laughs> um, but I think that that also, in, except for rare instances, will tend to weaken the sermon. And so uh, in crafting the sermon, we should seek to, to, to be, you know, tight and, and to the point. And, uh, and that will also serve our, our listeners. Yeah, very good. I, I, I was just, you know, talking to someone recently, and I've, I've thought of this in my own evaluation where the, you know, in an illustration, um, for example, a, a lengthy and excellent and compelling illustration that only makes a very minor point in the sermon, <laughs> you know, where you're like, well, that was a great illustration. We spent a good deal of time on it and it was really fun or compelling or impacting, but it only made a minor point in the sermon. So it was, it was probably actually distracting from your main point. Um, it was great illustration, but you really should save that for, you know, so like that's a, that's a yeah. way that lengthy asides on um, fairly technical and disputed elements of a passage that you read in the commentaries, yeah, you know, like, well, there's actually been many different versions of this over the years. And they've said, you know, there was one passage that really, and you get into that and it's, you know, your prop has been left behind in the woods and never to be found again. So I, I think there, there needs to be, there needs to be a, an ability to say, yeah, this is cool. This is interesting. This is clever. This is a fun joke I thought of, but as I look at my final form, it doesn't push the ball down the field. Yeah. It doesn't actually contribute to the emotional and thoughtful momentum leading to that crystal clear conclusion where people just want to run out the door and apply this thing. This yeah. doesn't do that as cool as it is. Um, tuck it away. We'll use it some other times. So I, I agree. I think that is just, that, that is a brutally hard, but crucial discipline you know, yes. preaching, I think. Yep. All right. Well, let's close it off there, bro. Um, hey, once again, if you're a Sovereign Grace pastor, aspiring pastor, Sovereign Grace member, uh, we love you. It's a joy to be in partnership together. Um, thank you to those of you who are not pastors and listen to pastors every week. Um, thank you for wanting to hear God's word preached exegetically. Um, we, Jared and I certainly are aware and your pastors are aware that you, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you have to endure our best efforts, yeah. uh, but bless you for doing that. And we're grateful that you do that and, and respect you for wanting exegetical preaching, which is yeah. how we preach in our churches and to our pastor friends, let's just keep going. Let's yeah. preach. Let's get better. Let's be faithful to the text and faithful to the, to the Lord of the text. Yeah. So, all right, we will see you next time. God be with you. We love you all.